Hi, I'm Ali. And I'm Penny, and you're listening to Not Too Busy to Write. The podcast about writing, publishing, and creativity amongst life's many other demands. I'm joined today by Doreen Cunningham, who's been a BBC journalist for the past 20 years. Doreen originally studied engineering and briefly worked in climate-related research before turning to journalism. Her memoir, Soundings, Journeys in the Companies of Wales, is out on March 3rd. Welcome, Doreen. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to be here. It's so nice to be here and chatting to you about yeah. your book. Um, full disclosure to all the listeners, Doreen and I are old friends. And I feel like I know this book quite well now because we've slightly been on this writing journey together, haven't oh, we? absolutely, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, um, first of all, let's talk about your book. It tells the story of your journeys as a single mother with a very young child after a really traumatic time, leaving a relationship and having to fight for custody for your son. Um, and you threw caution to the wind and followed the grey whale migration from Mexico to Alaska. And amongst that, we also hear about the journey that you had before becoming a parent when you spent three months living with an Inupiat family in northern Alaska, um, learning about how Indigenous communities have been predicting climate change. Um, it is just a book of so many angles and facets, so hard to describe. It's a memoir. It's about motherhood. It's about climate change. It's about nature. It's about love. Um, it's about so many things. Um, I just, I guess I wanted to start by asking, did you know right from the beginning that you were going to intertwine those two major journeys together into the one story? Um, I guess so, because when I started writing, I was writing bits of both. In fact, I think I started with the Arctic because um, some of the uh, major characters or one of the major character um died and I started to write more about them um uh and then I always knew um that the structure was going to be the grey whale journey because it's such an obvious structure for a book right I think until I had done that and 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 looked back on it I had never thought of really writing a book but it was just such an obvious book to write in a way but the main thing was um, the family in the Arctic who'd taken mm. me in and how much they'd taught me and what I had gained from that experience. That's sort of the heart of it. Uh, but then kind of, yeah, as you described, everything is the heart of it. It's like <laughs> a real combination of different things. Um, yeah. So I guess I did, but I hadn't worked out how. Yeah. Well, I mean, I loved how the two journeys merged together. For me, it like as a reader it made perfect sense that you would tell the story that way because as you say the journey that you took with your young son and he was around two at the time right when you did he was this, two yeah he was two and it is so beautifully described and there was so much that I resonated with with that with what I was reading about your experience um not because I ever did anything like that as a parent of a young child but because so much of what you were feeling and what went into the way you described how you were feeling as a new mother was resonated so much with me this idea of um I think you describe at one point just before that you um got pregnant with your son you had um been confronting Al Gore in like a parking lot trying to get um information from him and nobody in an interview that nobody else could get and you were um interviewing people in conflict zones and you were this very gung-ho really fierce journalist and suddenly as a mother you had so much taken away and you had to kind of rebuild yourself and reinvent yourself um and that's something I resonated so much with in the book um and 
this idea that you felt so judged for for doing something which seemed to perhaps outsiders like a crazy thing to do taking a very young child on this on this massive journey yes well um I I did feel a bit judged but I hadn't at the time I did not realize how crazy it was because of my background in journalism and because I love to move around I I fall in love with everywhere I go I find it very difficult to be stuck um, in the same place Um, I don't like being within four walls I love meeting new people and talking to them I just love being on the road and so it was where I felt comfortable. It was always where I felt most at home. You know, I was a bit of a wanderer as a child as well, which comes into the book. Um, and I love to be outside. And so it was the most natural place for me to be. But then I did get comments about, um, you know, the kind of people would just say, well, he's not going to remember it anyway. He's only two. Wait till he's older. But then the other people would say, oh, I'm a bit concerned. And uh, um but there was nothing that was going to stop me because really what drove the journey was an overpowering urge to get back to the Arctic and to that feeling that I had had there. Mm. So it was in a way unconscious. Um, and I did not realize how unusual it was until Mm. much later when I thought, Oh my God, I did that. (laughs) (laughs) But also he's clearly thriving on this journey. Like he, he, you know, it's so obvious that he is having quite an amazing experience. And we had the so best time. We had the best time. And it's still very strong for us, I think. You yeah. know, we refer to it a lot. And it's always this thing that we have done together. Um, and in the moment of it, I mean, looking back, I, I took a lot of footage of both journeys, actually. And listening back to some of the grey whale stuff, I do sound very tired (laughs) on those train journeys I'm like yeah okay yeah (laughs) and I was like right okay yeah that must have been hard but those aren't the bits you remember although of course you know I do write about being very tired at different points (laughs) in the book um but I would have been very tired at home you know yes yes it's it's more exhausting being at home with a young child for me and um yeah part of the journey is making peace with the kind of mother I'm going to be as well yeah there was a part where you talked about kind of wishing in a way that you felt satisfied with being at home and going to the local park and that you sort of sort of wished in a way that you were that kind of mother because um, it felt like life would be a bit easier for you maybe if you were satisfied in that way. And that really resonated with me as well, this idea that sometimes I kind of just wish I I didn't want um, anything different to what is mainstream because life maybe would be a bit easier if we weren't maybe yearning for quite so much. Yeah, I think it's a challenge, isn't it? And... Um... Well, yes, that that's sort of then there's a pif- an epiphany sort of slightly after that point in the book. Yeah. But um, uh, I do have to watch my longing. It's always there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's not always appropriate. Um, but in that case, I do think it was a great thing to do with yeah. my son. Yeah. Oh, it was just in a, it's just such an incredible thing to read about. I think. I think particularly, you know, single parents who have very, very strong, intimate relationships with their children, um, which I think has been my experience with all the, the single parents that I know that have been the sole parents. 
just this idea of the um of you know relying so wholly on each other um and it's such a beautiful relationship to read about but it's certainly not the only relationship in the book and and the um it was just so incredible to read about um your time that you spent in um northern alaska and the family that really embraced you and even at some at one point gave you an inupiat name um and really brought you forward and and I guess I just wanted to wonder as well is about um, when you when you decided to write about that. Um, I know that there are some challenges in in choosing to write memoir as a white person in a non-white community, an indigenous community. And um, I guess I wanted to ask you about um, like how how did you sort of um, end up where you ended up with it? Did you um, ask for support from from sensitivity readers, or, or how did you just how did you come to what you decided to put in the book in the end? Uh, I did everything I could think of because, um, uh, to be quite honest, at the beginning, I wasn't sure this was okay. I desperately wanted to write about what I had gained from that experience in the most um, respectful and honest way I could think of. Uh, And I also kind of felt like I hadn't done justice to the experience because I think that the hospitality I experienced is very typical, that Mm. people often go there and feel completely drawn in and welcomed and supported. So I'm not unusual in that respect. But I also felt like, well, then I, I mean, I wanted to stay, but that wasn't Mm. really possible for a variety of reasons. I went away again. And then what did I do with that enormous gift that they had given me? And so... Mm I felt like I want to share this um, from, I don't want to tell their story. I want to tell my, you know, the bit of the story that is is mine, really, what I experienced and mm. um, the, 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 the love I got there. Um, it was astounding to experience a tiny bit of um, their lives with them. Uh, but yes, I felt... Um, an enormous responsibility and so I'm still in touch with the family so they knew right from the beginning what I was planning to do <clears throat> I'm still in touch with them um, I uh, asked for feedback from writers of color where I could hear in my writing community about how I was dealing with race and um I actually wouldn't have had the courage to continue, I don't think, if I hadn't had feedback. Um, mm. Particularly, actually, a very early comment from Diana Evans just on one part of it, which was through the MA that I did at Goldsmiths, where mm. she said um, something like, you write really intelligently about race and more white people should do that. And then I actually, that kind of freed me. I thought, OK, uh, I'm going to have a go. And um a member of the family read everything I had written about them and spoke mm-hmm. to um, uh, another really important member of the family for me. So that was done. Then I also um, tracked down someone from the community who I didn't know. And this was actually really difficult to do. Mm-hmm. It took a long yeah. time and a lot of approaches um, who had the time um, to read for me without being kind of distracted by their relationship with me yeah so somebody um, who was a who was an who yeah who wasn't personally involved in the story who could have been yeah. really tough on me if they wanted to be sort of thing and and I was totally open to any any feedback and that there, there wasn't much but it was really really useful um in the end there was something about um the relationship between the Inupiaq and the International Whaling Commission that they, I had it in the book, but they wanted it early, earlier on. They felt it was mm. really important for the community that 
um, this relationship was defined quite early and I was very easily able to do that but I would have taken on anything they'd said really I came at it from a position of um, feeling very very responsible and then yes I also engaged with um, academic experts here and one um, uh, expert is Barbara Bodenhorn who spent years and years and years living with Inupiaq communities in the Arctic and I asked for her help with some of the aspects I'd written particularly the historical aspects um, and she gave me really forthright feedback which was so useful mm. um, and uh, I still go into it with a bit of trepidation I tried my absolute best and you know in it, a, a book is better than the sort of journalism that I was used to doing where you have very little time to explain anything yeah there was a bit more time but again it was you know it's I couldn't lose the reader with a lot of information yeah. and context but I did as much as I was able to and capable of doing and then also Professor Hugh Brody who's um an anthropologist who has who lived in the Canadian Arctic for decades and decades it's a very different area but he was aware uh, very much of all the um, issues with colonialism mm. and the negative tropes that are used and those academics were so generous with their time I've been overwhelmed with gratitude for the help they've given me um, so I well, did everything just, I could think of absolutely everything I could think um, of I think the balance is so beautifully done as well as um as a as a non-scientist reading it and a non-historian I mean it's just so the information about the the history of the area the colonialism the um the history of whaling itself um it's just so beautifully woven in there's lots of really important detail I learned so much but at the same time you never feel lost in it it never feels like a history book it never feels like a kind of um you know uh sort of yeah history of Alaska or anything like that but it's it's so beautifully um drawn together including um and so much that I never knew about about Wales and about that region um you know some of it completely unsurprising to read read is very much like a history of colonialism in Australia it, it sort of reads almost identically uh to what happened in Australia some of that um which was really sad to read but unsurprising um but yeah, it's, it's so horrifying. sort of it's really horrifying what happened there. Um, but it's so beautifully woven in. You can really, I guess, I think when it, when you, when it comes together with your story of your experience with, um, with that community and how they drew you in and held you um, and how much warmth and love there is within that community, it's, it's just so incredible to read about their history when you're getting to know some of the community me members at the same time. And it just gives a really um, sort of, I guess, really complete kind of context for your experience there. Um, because it's not it's not your experience that you had with them it's not it's not sort of separated out and taken separately it's sort of given this greater context um, of what's happened to that community and what might happen in the future going forward as climate change um, increases um, in the coming years um, so yeah so it's just yeah beautifully done <laughs> well, thank you. I, mean, I mean it was a big challenge because obviously you know you can write about your own life more easily you can access your own memories but that was um it was it was a real challenge trying to weave in what I felt absolutely had to be there mm. um 
uh, into that. But of course, because when I went there, um, to be honest, I was very ignorant of the history as well. So it was a learning journey for me. So I try to do that. I try and, you know, and I was I was given the most beautiful book to read while I was there of, of uh, Inupiaq stories, which gave a very personal context to the, the time and the, the difficulties that had been faced. And so I kind of read that alongside the reader for a bit and try and do it that way. Yeah. Oh, it's just, it's woven together in such a um, gorgeous, pleasing way. And, and there's nothing, I guess, what's so, what I love so much about it is that, it, that it, there's nothing kind of, um, I guess, overly romanticized about it either. Um, you you have this incredible experience before you become a mother, but when you become a mother, there's just nothing romanticized about your experience as a mother, which I really really loved. Um, so so it's kind of nature writing, I think, at its best, where you bring the reality and the um, the awe of nature together in a in a really lovely way. Um, but so let's talk about the writing itself, because as you mentioned just a bit earlier, you did a master's at Goldsmiths and, and, and the, the manuscript was developed partly over that master's, wasn't it? Yeah, so I started off by doing um, a course at the Literary Kitchen, which is very useful because you can do it online. It's run by a woman called Andrea Mason and um, you have to produce a certain number of words by a certain number of time. And that just helped me get some words out. And so I went to the MA with a lot of words um, and a lot of sections that have stayed broadly the same, actually, and an an attempt at a structure. And then throughout the MA, I um, kind of worked more on the the structure and, and on dialogue and on the craft, which I had absolutely none of, having only written news stories before. Um, And yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a very much done. It was sort of community effort. Oh, I was supported. I had a community around me. I couldn't have done it on my own. And I can't work unless I have a deadline. I just can't make myself <laughs> do things. I have no self discipline whatsoever. Well, so I think that's every how I did it. every journalist says that. Every journalist who goes on to write a book, I think that I've ever spoken to, has said exactly the same because you're so used to having these very strict deadlines all the time, and somebody on your back, and you know, and so. So it's probably very difficult to function without having that. Well, I don't see how anyone can do it because I I find it very hard to give myself permission to write. I had no idea Mm -hmm. that I could write anything worthwhile ever. And I I still feel the same way when I face my laptop or, or, um, you know, even just trying to do a blog post about the book for someone. I'm like, I can't do that. And then when I ask for someone for help, they're like, oh, you've just written a book. Yes, you can. But if I don't have a deline, I wouldn't. I wouldn't feel capable somehow the deadline enables me um it's a confidence thing unfortunately I wish I didn't have it but I do I just think that's so it's so um important to talk about out loud I think as well because I think people think you know oh if you've been a journalist for 20 years you must have no problems just like you know throwing out the words when necessary and just doing whatever but still this idea that you have to sit down and face that self-confidence when you sit down at the laptop to write something new I think it's really reassuring in a way to hear that um, that in a way this is just normal. This is really normal. And that even after 20 years of being a writer, you can still experience this. Right. Yeah, I guess so. It's unfortunate <laughs> that it's normal, isn't it? But maybe maybe it is different for some people. I don't know. <laughs> Perhaps it is. It does feel like something that comes up quite a lot. Though. Okay. <laughs> but also, you know, you... Um, 
when you were doing your masters and you and you're working on the manuscript, you know, you're also a single parent with um with more children now, um, not just the one that you that accompanies you on this wonderful journey in the book. Um, and so let's talk about that for a second because um, you know, as a single parent, I know how difficult this is this idea of like you said giving yourself permission to work on something and something that wasn't necessarily going to pay you right away or potentially it wasn't going to pay you at all and and when it did pay you you didn't know how much it was going to be and this idea of juggling that and your children and work and keeping a roof over your head um talk to me a little bit about what that was like at the time Oh dear. (laughs) Well, that's been um, interesting. Um, I guess I should just say that I, it wasn't that I wanted to write this book. I felt I had to, Mm -hmm. um, with the future that we're looking at from the perspective of a mother. Uh, when I saw that this book could potentially carry climate in an accessible way, Um, because of that journey I'd done being such an obvious structure and because of the astounding time I'd had in Utiahovic before becoming a mum as soon as I saw that that was a possibility and you know the fact that I do understand science and I have spent 20 years learning how to make it very accessible and I have the confidence to approach researchers it was just like well you have to do this then there's no two ways about it and you have to do it as soon as possible for your own peace of mind um, so it was very much an effort with my children in mind, um, mm. and it was that I had to do it. Uh, again, not that I wanted to, and so yeah. I work very hard when I have to. I'm an extremely hard worker, um, and I suppose the experience of having lived on very little when Max was young was in a way empowering because I knew I could do it again. Mm. Um, And so we lived on very, very, very little. um, And I knew about food banks because of my earlier experience and we, uh, I accessed food banks. Um, I, um, uh, I applied for grants. Um, The, I had to work out a way of paying the fees for the MA. Um, Mm. That wasn't easy. Um, and then I had to support us while I was doing it. And I had to make actually the most challenging thing or not the most challenging thing, but the most practically challenging thing was getting there and finding mm-hmm. someone who would look after my preschool children um, while I went just for one morning a week because I did it part time. And I, I wasn't able to attend any of the out of hours things and I wasn't able to do any of the reading for it. But I managed to get to that workshop every week and um uh do the creative work around it and you know met a community of writers there but it was it was a big struggle um some free childcare becomes available when your child is two so that was very helpful Mm. um and um I applied for a grant from the society of authors once I had the deal Once you have a book deal, you can apply for a grant from the Society of Authors. Um, You know, it's it's I think they asked for income information and, you know, they asked to see the advance and everything so they can see that you are still really struggling. Um, But before you have a deal, you're on your own. Yeah. So it's um, very, very difficult 
It is, yeah. And I think that's so important, though, to mention the Society of Authors because there are, I think they do offer them... Um, it's a foundation grant, yeah. I think. I'll find the proper name so you can put it on, well, put online. The, I'll the yeah. links. But, um, yeah. Because there are some, there are possibilities of, of getting grants when you're working on a project that's already been commissioned. Um, if your advance isn't very large, which for so many authors, um, advances aren't very large. So, um, yeah, it was very so yeah it's, really, that's, it's really, really important to mention that because I'm sure there are people listening who would be able to um, utilise it themselves as well. But yeah, it does, it does just show just how much commitment you need in order to make something like a like a book happen in a way because mm. um you know and i think that's why i think it's so important that we have these conversations openly because it would be so easy to think that um i guess that if as a writer who you know is doesn't have a big income or doesn't have a partner with a big income to i guess not give yourself permission to even try um and sometimes we just have to find really, really creative ways of being able to get the work done. Mm. And I wish there were a lot more ways to get support, you know, like for instance, a lot more free childcare and all those sorts of things, which we yeah. should have, but we don't. Yeah. But in a way, there's other ways that we can kind of scrabble together. It's amazing when you become a mum. You know, when I first became a mum, I couldn't afford to work. I couldn't afford the childcare. And then again, you know, becoming a mother, it's just you can't afford to do anything unless you're yeah. on a high income, unless you're on a high wage. Um, so it's very difficult. Uh, one thing I think that I try to keep in mind was Elizabeth Gilbert had written a really lovely, generous book about writing. Uh, I can't remember what it's called. I'll find out. But in it, she said, you have to treat writing like a love affair. So mm. um, first of all, she said, don't give up the day job. And of course, uh, I was like, oh, whoops. <laughs> well, um, when, you're, <laughs> when you're a single mother and you can't afford the childcare for your day job, you do sometimes have to put pause on the day job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it was pause, though, that I knew that. And that's, a, you know, that's coming from a a position of um, privilege in that I, I had taken a career break so I knew there was yeah. a job at the end that it was this period when it was going to be very difficult but eventually when they were all um, in in childcare or at school I would be able to go to work so that yeah. gave me a lot of psychological security and I cannot claim to know what it would have felt like without that mm. there are people who be in far far worse situations far more difficult situations than me um but she had, yes, she just said, um, treat it as a love affair. So, you know, yeah. you snatch a kiss on the stairs, you snatch 15 <laughs> minutes here and there. And that kind of freed me up. I I did sometimes just write texts to myself on the, on the phone when I was on the yeah. bus. Um, and just snatching bits, learning to do that really helped. Yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. I treat writing in the same way, this idea that I got to kind of, I guess, follow my passion a little bit and snatch it when I can. And um, and the, the only downside of that is I would say it does sometimes make me um, uh, go off on a slight tangent because I get a bit excited about a different idea. <laughs> uh, speaking of someone who has done that in the past week, I've been working on the main project I should have been working on. In fact, I've been working on two other projects. Oh, but amazing. Anyway, anyway. Um, As someone who never has any ideas, I like that. I think that's good. <laughs> well, unfortunately, I find that the more I work, the more ideas I get it. Oh, I okay. Guess. So that's, 
both good and bad. It means that I feel like when I have a period of time where I'm not working on something, I could sort of trust that the ideas will come again once I really get stuck into work again. But the massive downside is, of course, that sometimes I get distracted by new ideas and I've got to be a bit more disciplined. Um, Yes, I've got to be a bit more disciplined about sticking to the work I'm so to But I think you on. also need to note those ideas before they go, don't they? And I remember yes, that, that's true. you know, on, on, on that kind of snatching things and texting myself on the bus period that if I didn't, I'd forget it. And that was that was really important all the way through the process, actually, because I get so distracted. I mean, I have a short attention span anyway, but, you know, with, with so much to juggle, if I didn't remember that actually on that bit I wanted to expand there or I thought of a better way of putting that sentence or I really wanted to use this phrase I had to text it to myself because otherwise it would go and it wouldn't come back and I remember actually quite often in the night I'd wake up and go "Mm, yes that yes mm." and then I'd try and think of a way of reminding myself and just say okay so there's those three things one is to do with the whales in the lagoons one is to do with this one is to do with that and then of course when I woke up in the morning I hadn't managed to so eventually I did get into the habit of of writing to myself in the night as well because otherwise I couldn't now that we have kind of smartphones, um, voice noting yourself is actually also quite a good quick way yeah. of doing it. Just quickly speaking into the microphone. I've never done that, and then but that does sound like a good way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then probably listening back and realising it's not helpful. Exactly. <laughs> that is a pile of rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, um, um, oh, it's been so lovely to talk to you about this book. It's just so stunning um I just loved particularly because I knew some sections of it already but particularly reading about your time in um in northern Alaska was so incredible um the just the kind of I guess immensity of what you did there of um of going out on the ice for weeks and spending time in a whale hunting community and being really embraced by them and trusted by them um and so held and looked after by them it was just so magnificent to read and i would just highly recommend this book to everybody absolutely everybody um it's beautiful and and it's also a, a real call to arms about the climate um it's a, it's just a book about so many things um I don't know how you managed it but you did it's absolutely stunning thank you so much uh, um tell me tell me what have you been reading at the moment all uh, right where is it um here it is I have been reading a book called we need new names it's by no violet Bulawayo who um is a writer who grew up in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And when she was 18, she moved to the US. And uh, I haven't got all the way through it yet. But oh my God, it's so stunning from from what I've read so far. So it's the story of a, a girl called Darling, who has been, um, I'm reading from the back here, uprooted from her family home by paramilitary police and is living in a shanty called Paradise. Uh, despite the turmoil, she revels in mischief and adventures, um, like stealing guavas and singing. And then she goes to America. I haven't got to that bit yet. And actually, I've only just got to a bit where she recalls the uprooting of her family home. But the way it's done is so, um, so much through the child's immediate experience that mm. 
you are having the fun as well and you are just inhabiting that character and loving that character so much and seeing her worldview and you know it's it's I'm very much taken back to being young um but also learning so much and I, I it's astounding it's a brilliant brilliant book um yeah I'm enjoying it oh, a lot incredible incredible that sounds that sounds amazing I'll put that in the show notes um so I've just read something that actually I really would like to hear what you think, Doreen. I want, I want you to read this book. Um, uh, it's called Devotion by Hannah Kent. And Hannah Kent is an Australian author. Some of, uh, some of the listeners might have read Beryl Wrights, which is one of her books that, was, that did very, very well. Um, it's such an incredible story about um, a, a community from Prussia um in the 18 oh I want to say it's 1830s maybe I could have that completely wrong I might have the decade wrong um where they are old Lutherans and they're being persecuted and their religion is 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 outlawed in Prussia and they eventually receive um permission to migrate to South Australia Mm -hmm. um and so it's about this um this one young woman in particular and her experiences with her family migrating to Australia um but it's it's so much more than that. It's a queer love story, and it's about um, it's about religion and spiritualism and so many different things. And and the the ocean itself plays a huge role in in the book. Um, and oh, it it's sounds also incredible. Just, it's so incredible. It's so incredible. It's just come out, and um, I listened on audio actually, and the audio is is just incredible. I think particularly because sometimes I really love listening to a book on audio where there's a lot of different languages and um different names involved and so because all the names are german and um and there's quite a few german words peppered in and then when you get to australia there's some indigenous um language in there as well so it was it's really incredible listen as well um but yeah just stunning it was absolutely stunning and made me feel incredibly grateful to um for every single modern comfort that i have as well you know does this just like I was finding myself and I was listening to it going to the tap and being like oh clean water yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh brilliant I'm going to listen but, to it too I like the kind oh, of the experience of hearing all those words yeah it's just it's absolutely stunning um it's very hard to describe it's not I would call necessarily a traditional kind of um you know historical novel journey to Australia type thing it's it's um it's just yeah incredibly deeply beautiful love story as well and yeah, absolutely stunning. Highly oh, recommend it. Wonderful. I had to practice all my Inupiaq pronunciations before doing the audio read. So I'd I'd love to hear. Yeah, I'd love to listen to that one. Yes, that must have taken so much practice. Uh, well, I'd learnt some of them while I was there. So then that the difficulty was finding out the correct spelling. So a translator obviously yes. helped me. I got in touch with a, an Inupiaq translator. But um, yeah, the words are so lovely. So I did my best to get them right. <laughs> Yeah, and in fact, actually, I was thinking when I was reading, uh, when I was reading it, that I might also get the audio so that I can hear what some of the words sound like. Because as a reader reading the language that I've actually never really heard, uh-huh. um, it, I think it would be a really lovely experience to listen to it as well. Oh, well, Alhavik is the bowhead whale. Oh, uh, is it? Okay. is the grey whale. And so how do you pronounce the um, the city name again that you oh, were in? Well, yeah, that one takes some practice. That's Utkayavik. <laughs> so the kart right. is the one at the back of your throat. Utkayavik. Utkayavik. Oh, well, um, 
then anyone who likes listening to audiobooks, I would highly recommend you have it on audio too. I think I might download it so I can listen to it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, it's been really, really nice to talk to you. Thanks, Penny. You've been listening to Not Too Busy to Write with Ali Miller and Penny Windsor. You can buy all the books recommended on the podcast at uk.bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash not too busy to write where a portion of each sale goes to support independent bookshops around the country. If you've enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe or follow and please leave a review. It really helps others to find the podcast.